Well, hey, everybody. Man, it's good to be back here with you. Today, we're going to be jumping right into our passage. We're looking at a very interesting passage today, as Paul is going to lay out this illustration of an Old Testament story to show us what can happen when we try and do things the way that we want to do it instead of the way that God intended it to be done. And our big idea for tonight is this. Following Jesus means pursuing godliness, not just goodness. Following Jesus means pursuing godliness, not just goodness. So, you know, what happens when our perception of doing the right thing is different from God's? Why do we try and pursue goodness on our own without pursuing God? We're going to be breaking down some of that as we go on here, but to start us off, I want you guys to start by thinking about this. Close your eyes if you have to. I mean, visualize this. Uh, Imagine you have the opportunity to live in Italy. For the rest of your life, you get to live in Italy, you get to live in, in Rome and see all the cool stuff, eat Italian food, learn the language to your heart's content, all that. It's pretty amazing. Now get this, what if you could bring your dog with you? How amazing would that be? I mean, I honestly can't think of a better situation. You and your dog just hanging out in Rome, eating Italian food still, maybe Rome, maybe the city of Milan or Turin. There's probably something that none of you guys considered in this little thought experiment, though. If you want to commit to living in Rome, Rome's got some pretty interesting laws, and you've got to follow all of them if you want to live there. If you live in Rome and you have a dog, get this, you're required by law to walk that dog multiple times a day, or you could be subject to hundreds of dollars in fines due to animal cruelty. Additionally, in the city of Milan, another place in Italy, it is a law that you must be smiling at all times in the city, unless you're at a funeral or a hospital. I don't know how much those are really enforced, but it's pretty crazy. They exist. And Rome doesn't really sound so nice anymore, does it? I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if I can handle that. That's a pretty, there's a pretty good chance that by being forced to walk my dog and smile everywhere, I'd regret moving to Italy pretty quickly. And I've got a feeling that Paul agrees with me on this one because that's where we're starting off in verse two. Paul is going to start explaining how this obsession with following the law in the city of Galatia, that was the Galatians way of trying to get to God by their own terms in the way that they wanted, actually left them worse off than they were before and led to slavery under the law. And that's where we're gonna be landing for most of our Uh, preaching today. So Paul says this, starting in verse 21 in Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? Paul is saying, guys, you seem to be pretty in love with this law thing, but have you actually seen some of this stuff? I mean, I feel like you guys haven't even read it. This law that you've been following has actually been pointing to faith in Jesus all along. And if you really want to be held captive by the law, you've got to follow some very, very strict restrictions. The Old Testament law was pretty extensive and demanding for a reason. I mean, it was God's nature of perfection characterized into commandments. There were laws about not cutting your hair, not planting two different crops in the same field, and even one about not wearing two different materials of clothing at the same time. And following that perfectly was impossible for the people at the time. And it's impossible for us as well. And Paul is saying, man, do you really want to be held in bondage by that law? I don't think that's what you want. It might be what you think that you want, but it's not. 
This new life that Jesus promises doesn't come from trying to be necessarily good on our own. It comes from attempting to be closer to God. The law itself is actually pointing to our need for Jesus, but the audience has totally missed that in their legalism. Our first point is this, pursuing goodness without Jesus is slavery. Now, when I say that, there's a very important distinction that needs to be made. When I say goodness without Jesus, here's what I mean. I'm talking about all the ways that we try and do life on our own without God, whether that's trying to be good, whether that's trying to be morally upright without God or choosing right or wrong without seeking God's will first. You know, God is inherently good. Everything in this world that is good does come from God. And we're, and it's seen in passages like Amos 5.14, we are to seek goodness, the goodness that comes from God. But what we're talking about today, this goodness, is an internal thing that comes from the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But only that can be achieved through pursuing godliness first. And the fruit that comes out of that is that goodness that we often seek without consulting God. So with all that out of the way, let's start breaking down this text to see the illustration that Paul brings. Once again, we're in the book of Galatians, and the people of Galatia are being led astray by some false teachers that are saying, hey, you need to follow this Old Testament law to be following Jesus. And to refute that, Paul is going to remind these people of an Old Testament story with Abraham and Sarah to jog their memory a little bit and to make a new point through the law. So verse 22 says this, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are, be, are to be taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. So to understand what Paul is saying here, we need to look back at the story of Abraham and Sarah from Genesis that this passage is referencing. A lot of the time, and in fact, almost all the time, stories from the Old Testament point to things that happen in the New Testament through Jesus' teaching or other things like Paul's letters. And this is one of those times. Anyway, let's check out what happened with Abraham way back when. So basically, if you guys don't know Abraham, he was the man back in the day. Like he was God's chosen guy. God was going to build his people through Abraham. And at the time, him and his wife, Sarai, that was their name at the time, they were super old and they were past the age where they could have kids. And in this passage, excuse me, him and God are talking about this promise that God has given to Abram. Let's look at Genesis 15, two through four here. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. So this is Abraham saying, look, God, you're not giving me much to work with here. I need to give my inheritance to somebody. That was huge in Jewish culture at the time. And it's probably just going to be this guy working in my house. But watch this, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is of your own flesh and blood will be your heir. So God in this moment is telling Abraham, look, 
you're going to have a kid by Sarai. It's going to be through me. Just trust me. It's a promise. It's going to happen. It's going to be directly related to you. So it's going to be your kid. Now, once again, Abraham and Sarah and Sarah were super old and they were way past the age to have kids. So when they would repeatedly hear this from God, Sarah would literally just start laughing. Like she just couldn't believe it. Check out Genesis 18. It's actually pretty funny. But anywho, some time goes by. Abraham and Sarai still aren't having kids. And they have this idea. Instead of trusting God, instead of being faithful to his word, they decide to just try things their own way and do it on their own. God was just taking too long. So Sarai recommends to Abram to try having a kid with her bondservant, Hagar, like Paul was talking about. And so they give birth to a son named Ishmael. Now, while that sounded like a good idea at the time, it really didn't turn out super well. In fact, if we look at this story from Genesis, it actually directly mirrors the fall of Adam and Eve when they had disobeyed God. And what happens is Sarai and her servant had a big falling out at the time, and it actually didn't do well for the family. And Paul uses this story to describe how the Galatians were treating God in a similar way to how Abram and Sarai did right here. The Galatians had put their complete trust in this law and following rules to get right with God, despite their knowledge of Jesus and the new life that he brought. They looked at what Jesus had offered, and they had said, you know what? I can get there without you. I can get there on my own terms through the means that I want without trusting God. And it led them to slavery under the law. See, we inherently desire what God wants for us. We want to be forgiven. We want to bear the fruits of the Spirit. We want to have new life and to be good. But we honestly want the kingdom Jesus brings, all those things, without acknowledging the king himself. And this can take a couple different forms in our lives. Because along with those desires to want the kingdom, to to want to be good or nice, which are very good, godly-given desires, we also very much desire individuality being on our own. We want to think that we can just be a good person without God, going by our own means, without giving up any freedom, like having to believe in Jesus or live your life in a certain way or go to church or anything like that. And on the surface, you know, when you look at the world, there are tons and tons of amazing, nice, generous, cheerful people that seem to be doing just fine without God. So what's the deal? Why can't we just do our own thing? Well, regardless of whether or not you believe in God, our societal understanding of good and of being nice all stems from Christ in the first place. People know how to do good and why they want to do good, not because they believe in God, but because that there is a God. Sure, you might be able to imitate the fruits of the Spirit, like love, patience, and kindness without placing your faith in Jesus, but without having the true source of those actions, Being good can soon turn into a demanding task instead of something that truly brings joy because it's not from the true source. And when that happens, we become slaves to changing cultural norms on what it means to do the right thing or what it means to love or to be good. And by trying to go away from God, our energy just runs out and we often find ourselves more lost than we were before. So what does it mean to take God's way The next part of this passage that Paul is going to highlight is going to help us understand that. Point number two is this, faith in the promise leads to freedom. The second half of Paul's illustration is going to highlight Abraham's other son, Isaac. This was the son that was promised from God in the first place. 
Let's read here together, starting in verse 28. Here we go. Now you, brothers and sisters, remember Paul is talking to the Galatians, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So if we can recall back to that story of Genesis, God had promised Abraham a son from Sarah, despite their old age. And Isaac was that son. I mean, in Genesis 21, God faithful, God is faithful to the promise that he made to that family. And Sarah miraculously gives birth to Isaac, even though she was literally like 90 years old at the time. So what does it mean to be a child of promise? Like, why is that attributed to us? And what does it look like to take God's way instead of our own? Well, I've got a kind of a fun story to, to share with this one. I remember I was coming home late one night. I was in Bellevue and I needed to get back to Seattle to get back home. And man, I'm pretty sure last time I was up here, I talked about how bad I was at directions and how bad I was at driving, but this is really just doubling down on that right now. Um, but I was, I was trying to get back home and I remember just being like, all right, man, I can figure this out. I can do this on my own. I'm not going to try and use maps and I'm not going to get on this toll bridge. So the thing was from Bellevue to Seattle, there's this one bridge that connects the two cities, but you've got to pay money to go on it. It's called the toll bridge. You've probably seen it. It's 520. And I just, for some reason, did not want to go on the toll bridge. Like I just told myself, it's not happening. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pay like the three or four bucks it takes. It's just too much of a hassle. So I set off and I kid you not, for like an hour, I tried getting back home without maps, without getting on this toll bridge, and it, it took like an hour. I got so lost. Every route that I was taking was just putting me on the toll bridge, and I was just not having it. I would literally take the exit before the road so I would have to, so I could avoid it, and it was just, it was just a bad time. And eventually, I caved. It was like 11.30 or maybe even midnight, and I just took the toll road back home. And it was just, oh, it was awful. And to say the least, I don't look back at that experience very fondly. When I was lost and trying to take my own way without accepting what was put in front of me, I was pretty upset and stubborn. I mean, it really didn't work out too well. Taking God's way means acknowledging that you can't do life on your own. That we aren't super great at making the best decisions or finding our own way without consulting God first. And I did have to sacrifice to go on that toll road. Right, just as we sacrifice our own selfish desires to follow God. It's not always comfortable. A lot of the time, though, we, I think we like to think that living for God is a violation of our own freedom to make our own decisions. Following God can just kind of feel like rules that restrict us instead of bringing us life. But in reality, I think we need to reevaluate our definition of freedom and our perspective on what it means for us to be free. Typically, we only look at the first side of freedom when we think about the word that we are free from something, right? Our perspective of free often leads towards doing whatever you want, whenever you want, without having anybody tell you not to do something. This is the epitome of being free from restriction. But often I think we forget the second facet of being free. Once we've been set free from something, we need to be set free to something. I remember... It was my, one of my best friend Isaac's birthday. I think this was a year or two ago, and 
I thought it would be hilarious to get him a goldfish for his birthday. And he doesn't even have a fish tank. He doesn't do anything. So he just, like, have the responsibility of a fish. And so we were all hanging out at this park. And, you know, I gave him the present. And he opened it up. And we all freaked out. It's a fish. What the heck are we going to do with that? And it's like, yeah, what what is Isaac going to do with a fish? I don't know. Uh, and so we decided to just let the fish free at a nearby pond. It was called Scott's Pond. If you can find the place in Kirkland, uh, it's props to you, man. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, Isaac didn't really want to take care of it. And so we just brought the fish there and we got there. The water was very muddy. Uh, didn't look super f- safe, but we were like, you know what? It's fine. He's a big fish. He can, he can do it. And so we set the fish free out into the water. And immediately, as soon as we let him free, he was gone. Like within a second, we never saw him again. And odds are he probably suffocated that day. Like he probably died in that water. So, like, sure, we had set him free, but, you know, free to do what? Not much. You know, is that freedom? No, not really. That's kind of just being lost. That's not freedom. And to be honest, we probably just set that fish free to die. And for us, freedom through Christ is freedom from yourself. You've got to be set free from something and then set free to something. It's our own sinful desires that keep us enslaved. And Jesus came to show us how life was supposed to be lived so that we might know God. We can trust God with our decisions and our desires because his promises and his ways are a lot better than the stuff that we can typically come up with on our own. When we're able to walk with God instead of walking away from him, we're actually living out life in the way that God intended us to live it which leads to true freedom and true joy. So how does that tie into godliness? Well, there's a fancy Christian word that a lot of guys like to throw around. It's called sanctification. And essentially it means that when you are saved, the Holy Spirit works in you to conform you and to make you look more and more like Jesus through your thoughts, through your actions, and through your speech. Think of a tree right, that bears fruit. Once we place our faith in Christ and continue to walk with God, the Holy Spirit grows us and allows us to bear the fruits of the Spirit. It's this pursuit of godliness that gives birth to loving people, being patient, and having wisdom. While the pursuit of just doing good for your own sake without even thinking about God will honestly just leave you to slavery from self-gain. And if you think about it, When we look at the story of Abraham and Sarah that had faith in God's promise, they literally gave birth to a son, Isaac, which is representative of freedom through trusting God in this passage. And in the same way, when we trust God, he promises us that he will give birth to the fruits of the spirit as we place our faith in him. As we close, I'd love for you guys to just continue studying this passage and gleaning from it, because I know it's a little bit hard to understand. It's kind of a a different one, but man, don't be discouraged. There are so many people around you here at ASM, whether it's your small group, whether it's your small group leaders that want to push you, that want to understand God more, and they're also just trying to figure it out as well. Man, I'm one of those people too. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to close out here today. God, thank you so much just for bringing us your word. Thank you for allowing us to spend time with you. God, pray that this would really be an integral part of our day, Lord, that we would not just hear your word and have it go in one ear and out the other, Lord, that we would sit with it. You would, God, that you would use your word to just percolate into every area of our lives, Lord, that we would make you our foundation, God. And so thank you again for community. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is working through us, God. 
And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All righty. Thank you guys again so much for being with us today. That's all we got. Take care.